Good morning, everyone. I know we would all like to be together um, for the Christmas message today, but that's not going to happen because of various sicknesses in the church. And of course, Audrey and I are still recovering from the virus. Today, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit of background about uh, the book of Galatians. It was written primarily to a Jewish, uh, to a Gentile church, but there was a Jewish element that had come into the church, lawyers, if you will, were trying to tell these believers that had just trusted in Christ that in order to be a good Christian, you had to come under the law of Moses, be circumcised and everything that goes along with the law of Moses in order to be a good Christian. Um, Years ago, when I was in Korea and I was up on my bunk, I read the book of Galatians, and it radically changed the way that I looked at the Christian walk. <clears throat> because a lot of things in Galatians kind of put me back at, at, at the foundation, and then I realized that uh, law was not the way to get to heaven. And uh, so it, it was a huge eye-opener for me. So in... Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the arrival of Christ, and we're going to kind of go through this uh, together here briefly this morning, and uh, hopefully this will speak to your heart and it'll be a good Christmas message. So we're talking about a gift from God today, and the gift of from God is, of course, the birth of Christ. Let's first of all look at verses 1 through 3, where Paul says we were enslaved that we were once slaves. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Okay, so here in verse 1, here in verse 1, the Apostle Paul uses allegory, uses really two metaphors uh, to make his point. He does this in other places in Galatians as well. He mentions the heir and the slave. And of course, the heir is a child. And so when we look at this heir language, what I mean is that the heir, as long as he is a child, no different from the slave, the heir refers to the Jews. The slave refers to the Gentiles. Now, the family dynamic back in the New Testament, you had a mom, a dad, children, you had aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and but you also had slaves in that family dynamic and so uh, when he mentions here this these two allegories uh, the heir and the slave he's referring to both Jew and Gentile now it really becomes significant because the vast majority of the New Testament deals with trying to bring these two elements together, the Jew and the Gentile under the umbrella of Christ. Another key point here is that the child is not an adult. Now, children, <clears throat> Jewish children, a lot different from our kids today, the Jewish children at the age of three began to recite blessings and prayers. I mean, they would teach their, they would teach their young children Okay, this is a blessing from God's Word, and this is the prayer that goes along with it. By the age of five, they're learning theology. Theology meaning the basics, that God created the heavens and the earth, that God created man, 
and the the basic theology of the Hebrew God of the Bible, at least as the Jews understood him. By the age of 10, they're learning tradition, what it means to be a Jew, and all of the information particularly contained in the Torah about the tradition. By the age of 13, they are learning the Torah, and they're actually memorizing large portions of it. Um, uh, many could almost recite the entire Torah, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's uh, a huge chunk of scripture. But anyway, he's telling the Jews here that have come into the church that even though you're the heir, you're still a child. You don't understand that Christ came and has now removed the, the elements of that law so that you can live by faith. So the child, even though he is an heir, is still a slave. We were all slaves, Jews, Gentiles, all slaves. And then he says here in verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. These teachers, and of course Paul is making a, ve a, a veiled reference here to the Mosaic Law, which he talks about later in the book of Galatians, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. The date set by the Father is coming in chapter 4 of Galatians, which we're looking at. But he is under guardians and managers. Uh, back in the home, uh, they would have teachers that would help teach the child, make decisions. But then when that child grew up uh, at the age of usually 13, that uh, particularly males, they would be free to make their own decisions. But Paul here is saying, you Jews, even though that you are the heirs, and, and God has you as your chosen people, you're still a child. You don't understand the message of the gospel. Now we continue in verse 3 thinking about the elementary principles. And Paul writes this, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now there's... Uh, two ways to look at this. One is it could be referred to the elementary principles such as um, Hebrews 5.12. We read Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers of the law, you need to have someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And also that you have, you have to be taught the elementary principles all over again. If that's for the Jews, then the issue here is that you haven't even gone beyond the basics to understand Christ. Others see this phrase, elementary principles of the world, as referring to the Gentiles in the reference to uh, evil spirits of this world and the spirit of the age. Um, Paul writes in Colossians 2.20, if, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? The, 
the issue here is that for the Jews, they are enslaved. And for the Gentiles, they are enslaved. In the same way, when you were children, you were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When we look at the Jews for a moment, and Paul writes this in Galatians 3.23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. That's, that's the enslavement for the Jews. The law, which is holy, perfect, and good because God gave it, was never a means for them to reach salvation or divine favor with God. That's the Jewish element. Now, over on the other side, you have the Gentiles. Now, uh, most people, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, maybe this will be new, that's good too. But uh, Romans 2.14 says this, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, that's the Mosaic law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. So both the Jew and the Gentile are enslaved. If the elementary principles of the world is for the Gentiles, the, the nature of, of humanity, where they know right from wrong, but they do it anyway, they do wrong anyway, and the Jews who have the law, who do not obey the law, they are now imprisoned under that law. So this, this word enslaved means in bondage, under obligation. And so Paul here, you can't live by law and get to God. You can't live by law and believe that you're going to get to heaven. I, I remember uh, my friend Newt Larson once told me a story of a man he was having a conversation with. They were having coffee together. And uh, he said, you know, uh, tell me where you are. Newt Larson said, tell me where you are spiritually. He said, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and uh, that kind of caught Newt Larson by surprise. And he goes, so how, how do you know that you're a Christian? And the man responded to Newt Larson, well, I know that I'm a Christian because I obey the Ten Commandments. So Newt instinctively knew at that moment that the man was not a believer. Um, and so Newt Larson very masterfully looked at the man and he said, can you name the Ten Commandments for me? And the man looked strangely at Newt Larson and he fumbled through three or four of those commandments but did not get them all. But also the issue is it's not just the Ten Commandments. There's 714 commandments in the Torah. Those are all part of that law. And so this man believed that he was going to heaven because he had the law. The Jews believed they were going to heaven because they had the law. But Paul says, no, no, you guys are still children. You don't know that Christ came to fulfill that law. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But so we were slaves. We are all slaves, Jew and Gentile alike. We are all slaves. Secondly, not only are we all slaves, the good news is that God sent Christ to free us. Let's look at the timing in verse 4a. But when the fullness of time had come, boy, that's a, that's a, loaded, that's a loaded phrase for the, when the fullness of time. That means an exact moment where everything comes together and is aligned perfectly. But when the fullness of time had come... Um, 
some interesting notes here about the fullness of time. God was in control of this. He had, he had this thing all worked out. Um, we saw that when we talked about Abraham um, in Genesis 12:1 back a couple of weeks ago when I preached a sermon on Abraham. <clears throat> but when the fullness of time had come, at the time that Christ came, Greek was the universal language. So you could go anywhere in the region and you could understand everybody. So Greek was the universal language. Also, man, Rome in particular, Rome had built a massive road system which made travel very easy. It's, it's, it's just such, so much of a coincidence that, that it isn't a coincidence. But um, anyway, they played into the hands of God here because God saw that everything was coming together according to his plan. Greek was a universal language. You could go anywhere and get along with everybody. Rome had built new road systems. And another key dimension, <clears throat> another key dimension was that when Christ arrived, when he was born in Bethlehem, the empire, the Roman Empire, was experiencing Pax Rama. And that Pax Rama was a time of peace. It was, un, it was unheard of. Because when you study Roman history, you know that there's wars and Jews and Jews have wars and everybody's having wars. But when Christ arrived in Bethlehem, there was peace. So not only were you able to travel anywhere you wanted to go, you were able to travel and realize that there wasn't any war going on. There, weren't any, there, there wasn't any turmoil. A fourth thing that's interesting about the timing of Christ's birth was that idol worship was on decline. So you have this environment when Jesus comes, uh, a perfect scenario in which the fullness of time when Christ came, people were starving spiritually. Again, Greek was the universal language. Rome had built new roads. There was a time of peace and people were hungering for something spiritual. And God says, and when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son. Wow, that's pretty good. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Sent forth is, is a reference actually to a message. When we, when we think about the, the, the birth of Christ, uh, so many things here. Uh, many depict Christ as being born in a stable. That was true. And we, we get this idea that there's this little manger scene and, and there's animals uh, nearby. And, and that's all true. The, the problem is, historically, he was born in a, in a cave. So particularly in Bethlehem, the house of bread, he was born in a cave. And so here you have the Son of God, who should have been born in a palace, who should have been born with servants, who should have been nice and warm, was born in a dark cave. That's such a uh, humbling place to be born. So in this nativity scene, you have Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem in a cave. Yes, there's animals. It stunk. It was damp. It was dark. And this is where the Son of God came into this world. It's almost like a picture of the darkness of humanity at the time that Christ was born. Now, Christ as a man, you think of this God-man, 
Jesus was fully God. We see that throughout his life in the Gospels. He raised people from the dead. He caused the blind to see. He caused the lame to walk. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000. He, he did all of these miracles proving that he was the Messiah. Who is this man that even the seas obey? So we see the miracles of Christ and it confirms his divinity. But we also know that Christ was born as a baby. He was born human. He started this life as a child like we do. And this is what makes Christ so unique out of any savior that's ever been proposed by man, is that he understands what it's like to be you and me because he's lived as a human. As a child, he grew, he skinned his knees, he cried, he experienced pain, he experienced sorrow, he experienced every human emotion, and yet, in that, he did not lose his divinity. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So the sending of Christ, he was born of a woman. I, I, that's still <clears throat> amazing how... God came down in human form. Read John, First uh, John chapter 1 also is a good reference, or John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, excuse me. But at the time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, verse 4c, born under the law. We've been looking at the law here, and obviously the law is the law of Moses, but for the Jew, it is the law of Moses. He was born under that law. And for the Gentiles, he was also born under the natural law, the elementary principles that we looked at. He covers both the Jew and the Gentile. He was born under the law. Now, I want to stop here and, and look at God's salvation story because we had been looking at it for uh, a couple of sermons before uh, I got sick and wasn't able to, to preach. We have looked at the promise to Abraham. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, God had promised Abraham that if you get out of your country to a land I will show you, I will bless you. Well, that was the promise of Abraham. That was the Abrahamic covenant that God made with him, which was established through the Davidic line as well. What happens is 430 years later, after that promise, God sent the law, Galatians 3.17, the law came 430 years later. The Jews believed that the law negated the Abrahamic promise, and that's where the problem is. The, the Jews believed that since Abraham's covenant was first, that the Mosaic law superseded the Abrahamic covenant because it came later. But that's not the case. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He had, there's this redemptive part of history that is taking place in Galatians chapter 4. So we move on now to the main point. We were slaves, but thanks be to God, he sent Christ to free us. He was born under this law. And by the way, when we say that he was born under the law, Jesus fulfilled the law to the letter. He, it did not... 
uh, he didn't break any aspect of the law. He did not sin. And he had to do that because we cannot do it on our own. Anyway, the redemption story of, of God starts with Abraham. The law was added to keep the Jews in check until Christ should come. Now, if we continue our reading in verse 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. Here's the key. This is the purpose. To give us full adoption. Listen to this, verses 5 and 6. To redeem those who were under the law, both Jew and Gentile. He's going to redeem us. And that means to buy back or to purchase. And Christ did that by going to the cross. When he paid for our sins in full, when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins in full and he purchased us with his blood. And by the way, we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, for you were bought with a price. You have to remember that you go from being slaves of sin to slaves of Christ. This is no longer about us. This is not our life. This is what Christ did for us. That's quite amazing that Jesus masterfully, God masterfully orchestrated all of this at just the right moment in time when humanity was searching, when there was peace, when there were roads, when there was a universal language. God says, this is the exact moment that I'm going to bring forth my son. And he's going to walk in all of my ways perfectly. And then he's going to take that perfect life and redeem all of us, Jew and Gentile, that are under the laws. Going to redeem us, buy us back, put us in a new relationship with him. Wow. So that, Paul continues to write, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The word might receive means to possess, and it means legally declare someone who is not one's child is to then be treated as a child of the person adopting. Listen to me this morning. If you are in Christ, even though you were far from him, you have been brought into a personal relationship with him. Masterfully, God imputes Christ's righteousness to cover all of our sin, past, present, and future. Quoting from Romans 3, 21 and 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's us today. That is you and me. We have been given imputed righteousness apart from the law because we can't, we can't fulfill it. Even if you were a Gentile and you tried to come under the law and be circumcised, you wouldn't be able to fulfill it. Christ did that so that you and I don't have to. We have been born again. We have been adopted into the family of God. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? You have been adopted into the family of God. That is quite amazing. So that you might receive the adoption of God. You have been brought in. And you're not just half adopted. You were fully adopted. 
to redeem those who were under the law, that's all of us, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Praise be to God. And Paul closes with this. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wow. Quite amazing. Something happens at the moment. And, and by the way, uh, Abba, Father refers to a closeness with God. No longer separated, no, no longer uh, far away from God. We have been um, adopted into his family and we can call him daddy. Now, I know that seems sacrilege and that seems like you can't call God that, but that's the relationship that we have. We can call him our daddy. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about you. He knows your hurts. He knows what you're going through in your life. He cares for you like your daddy does. That's quite amazing. And it's the Holy Spirit who keeps us in communion with God, not law. I want to return to the story that I was telling you about with Newt Larson. Newt Larson, after he heard the man say that uh, he stumbled through, he stumbled through trying to even get three or four of the Ten Commandments out. He said, look, he said, let me share the gospel with you. It's not about the Ten Commandments. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, <clears throat> Newt Larson shared with him the plan of salvation. And that man wound up receiving Christ right there in that coffee shop. After Newt Larson prayed with him, he said, are you a Christian? And the man smiled. He had, some, he had a couple of tears rolling down his cheeks and he says, I'm a Christian because I've trusted in Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, the gift this Christmas is that Christ came at just the right time. He was born under the law to redeem everyone, Jew and Gentile, to redeem us, pay for our sins, put us in a right relationship with God. And so we can call him our daddy. That's my Christmas message for you this morning. And my prayer is that you and your family have a wonderful Christmas. May God bless you. May you keep you safe. And remember next Sunday, um, I'll be preaching on Jeremiah 31. Um, and we'll, we'll look at that about God writing the law in our hearts. Also, I will be putting together a video, hopefully Thursday night for Christmas Eve. Uh, we've talked with the praise team and we're not going to have the 11 o'clock service, but I am going to have a video, a special Christmas Eve video for you to watch. So may God bless you and keep you safe until we meet again on Sunday.